Hey, listen, if, if you're here with us for the first time, this is actually our fourth week in a series that we've been calling Feel Your Pain. And um, we've been talking about some really big, heavy topics. Um, last week, we talked about depression. The week before that, we talked about shame. And the week before that, we just talked about the idea that God can actually use our pain. And we've kind of tethered this main theme throughout this series. And the main theme is simply this. You don't need to escape your pain. You need to find out why God is allowing your pain so you can figure out why you're there in the first place. That is this kind of main underlying theme because we live, I don't know if you realize this, but we live in this culture that's all about not dealing with the emotional issues that we have. We want to suppress them. So we've used issues like this is why Facebook is so important or so popular. This is why Netflix is so popular because these mechanisms, these devices ultimately become coping mechanisms for us. Because we can sit down, we can get home from a long day of work, we can pour a glass of wine and we can sit down and watch Netflix and we don't have to think about life, right? And so this idea is what we've really been encouraging people to do, it's a heavy thing but it's helpful, um, is to feel it, sit in it. When you feel depressed, when you feel anxious, like just sit for a moment. Don't use some kind of mechanism to distract yourself. Sit in that pain for a moment and figure out where is this actually coming from. And so that's kind of been the whole idea behind this. But before I dive into this week, we're going to be talking about anxiety this morning. But before I do this, I just want to say something, because I don't know if you've followed our culture, and um, I mean, you've seen it in the past week. You've had two main celebrities that have committed suicide um, tragically, and obviously this is shedding light to a bigger issue that has been going on, and I think that our society is actually inching towards every single day. Here's what I have learned. When you deal with real issues like anxiety, depression, heaviness, um, you don't need coffee cup Christianity, (laughs) You don't need like bumper sticker, fish stick kind of Christianity, right? You need something real. And, and so what I mean by that, this is why I'm trying to talk about these topics because hopefully in talking about these topics that we can normalize them. I want you to understand like everybody in this room, whether you want to deny it or not, everybody at some point in their life has dealt with depression, anxiety, shame, fear, worry. And if you haven't, raise your hand. I'd love to meet you because you're probably Jesus. Okay, like I'd love to meet you after service and we can go to dinner and break bread or something. Um, But the truth is, The reason that we're talking about these topics is because specifically in the church, so many people silently struggle with these things because we've bought into this idea, well, I've surrendered and I've placed my hope in Jesus, therefore I should not struggle, right? Wrong. (laughs) We live in a broken world. Um, How many of you have ever made a mistake and you never thought that you would make that mistake, but you made it and you can't believe that you actually did it? Why do we do things like that? Because we live in a fallen world, um, and and it's this little thing called being a human. (laughs) Um, And and so because we are in touch with our humanity, we're going to make decisions that we regret. We're going to fall into things um, that we don't want to do sometimes, and these can cause particular issues. And listen to me, the only way that you free yourself from depression, from anxiety, from fear, from shame, there is one step that comes crumbling down the wall of all of those things, and it's to talk about it. It's to talk about it. It's to start getting it out in the open. Can, can I say this? This may sound a little controversial. Con- confession to the Lord is not enough. It's not. 
Just you saying, God, forgive me, is not going to move the ball down the court. Because here's the thing. You're still holding on to something. You're still hiding something. There's still something in your life that is having to remain secret. So guess what? You're trying to move forward, and you got one hand chained to a desk because shame is keeping you there. And so we've got to start talking about it. So this morning, I want to talk about anxiety. I want to have a real, raw, honest conversation with you about this topic that I think is affecting so many people. Let me give you a few stats, and then we'll kind of dive into it. Um, Anxiety disorders are actually the most common mental illness in the U.S. known to date. They say it affects over 40 million people in the U.S. So that's 18% of the American population that struggles with uh, anxiety. Now, here's what I want you to understand about that stat. It's a little skewed because that's 18% that are actually seeking professional help. Um, that's not the people that are silently struggling with it that have never gone to go see a doctor. So experts believe this is insane. Actually, 40% of the U.S. population deals with anxiety. 40%. That's four out of every 10. So somebody at some point in their life is dealing with it. Experts actually believe that anxiety disorders cost the U.S. over $42 billion a year. So here's the truth. We are inching, as a culture, we are inching towards a world, towards um, an ideal that if we don't start taking care of ourselves and we don't start doing some self-help and some self-care about the emotional distress that is going on inside of our hearts, we're inching towards some very dangerous things. And what I mean by that, um, I said this last week, emotional, emotional disorder is not random. You don't wake up one morning and go, oh my gosh, I'm so depressed. It's something that you have suppressed over and over and over and over again. And maybe you wake up one morning and you feel it finally. But it has come from something that you have pushed down for a long time. Now, hopefully today... Um, for some of you, maybe I can just put words to maybe what you've been dealing with and you, don't even, you didn't even know that this is what it was. So let's talk about the symptoms of anxiety. What are some of the symptoms? A few things. Panic disorder, um, social anxiety. So this is like some of you, maybe this is a big deal for you to just be sitting in this room right now. You're like, uh, I, you're sitting in the back or like, don't, nobody touch me, right? Um, sometimes it's OCD. You like to have everything in order. Sometimes it's depression, Sometimes it's sickness, headaches, stomach issues, sleep issues, stress, chronic pain, substance abuse. Um, These are all different kind of things that manifest out of anxiety. Here's what I want you to understand. If you don't take care of yourself emotionally, I don't know if you realize this, but I've experienced this myself, it'll start affecting your physical health. It just does. Um, when When you get to a place of depression, it affects your sleep. When you get to a place of anxiety, it, it affects how you interact with the people that you love and all of the people around you. So before we dive any further into this, can I just make a confession to you really quickly and hopefully make some of you feel really comfortable in here? I've struggled with this. And that's why I said in the very beginning that um, we're inching towards a culture that where we don't need like just petty Bible verses and scriptures to get us through the day. We need real people who have gone through real things that are going to introduce us to a real Jesus that leans into our pain. Um, and so here's, here's what some of you need. You have to understand this. You're not alone in this fight. You're not alone in it. The anxiousness that you feel, the overwhelmed feeling that you feel, um, so many people feel it. So many people are walking through it. So many people are dealing with it on a daily basis. Um, I had gotten to a place 
few years ago where I was so anxious about particular things. I mean, I, I gave myself like stomach issues. I was having chronic headaches. I was sleeping terribly at night. It started affecting my, my physical health. Um, and there was a time in my life where it felt like prayer, worship, spending time with Jesus was just not enough. And the truth is the, the, uh, the take, the, the remedy to take two scripture verses and call your pastor in the morning was just not enough for me, <laughs> right? And that's where some of you are at right now. Um, you're sick of people saying, well, just pray. Just have more faith. Just go read the Bible more. Just pray more. And the truth is, a lot of you are sitting in here and you're going, I have. It doesn't work. Does it, can we just be honest? Anybody, anybody feel like that? Have you ever felt like that? Like, I'm praying. I'm doing all these things. I don't know what to do. And maybe you've even experienced this. Maybe you finally worked up the courage to um, confess it to somebody, that you're dealing with anxiousness, and, and, then they, and then they quote this verse to you. Have you ever had this? You're like, man, I'm just so anxious. And then they quote Philippians 4, 6, don't be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to the Lord. And you're like, does nothing for me. Does nothing for me. Um, and the truth is, when you find yourself and I'm not making light of the scriptures at all. Please don't take that in the wrong way. But when you find yourself at the bottom of this pit, um, if you're not careful, it can seem so hopeless that even the scriptures seem useless to you. Um, they, they, they seem like they don't possess any kind of power. When you're struggling with anxiety, you need so much more than just a scripture verse. You need to be able to get to a place where you can tap into the resurrecting power of Jesus that actually manifests and raises things from the dead. We have to have encounters with Jesus. We have to have experiences with Jesus. We have to get around people that are actually um, have gone where we have been and have experienced what we have gone through. People like we talked about two weeks ago that can have empathy towards us. That can say, hey, listen, I've, I was there two years ago, or I was there six months ago, and I understand what you're going through, and I'm going to help you walk through this place. Like, see, when you're drowning, it, it's, I'll put it to you this way. When you're drowning, and you got somebody in a boat that says, hey, buddy, I can do two things for you. I can pray for you, <laughs> that you can not drown, <laughs> or I can give you my hand and pull you up. And so when you're, when you're dealing with anxiety, you don't need people to just say, hey, buddy, I'm going to pray for you. You need people that says, here's my hand, and I'm going to help you walk through this. See, this is why community, this is why the church is so important, because I'm absolutely confident in this. You can't beat this on your own. You can't. Because when you're drowning, you don't need people to just say, I'm going to pray for you. Hope you don't choke on the way down. <laughs> you need somebody to say, hey, I'm here. I've walked through this. I've struggled through this before, and I'm going to be here until you finish going through this. So here's the truth. We do need the scriptures. I'm not saying that they're not important. We desperately need them. But we need people sometimes to lean on in those anxious moments. Um, 1 Thessalonians 2.8 puts it this way. This is Paul talking. He says, we loved you so much that we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well, because you had become so dear to us. What's he saying here? He's saying, we found our family. We found our people. We got to a place where we love these people so much, so dearly, that we shared our lives with them. See, that's what some of you are going to have to get to the place. If you want to overcome this anxiety, you've got to find family. 
Listen, I've said this multiple times throughout this series. Not everybody needs to know your story, but somebody does. If it's just one person, that's okay. You need to find somebody that can help you walk through this journey. Somebody that's not going to view you differently. Somebody that's just going to say, okay, I lean in. I feel your pain. I understand. And we're going to help you walk through this. If you want victory in anxiety, you have to understand how it works first. So that's what we're kind of going to going to do this morning. I want to break it down, how the enemy manipulates us in certain things, where anxiety actually comes from, and then I want to give you a few practical solutions of hopefully how we can overcome this. But today, I want to start at the very beginning. We're going to go all the way back to Genesis. And here's what I want you to understand. When God created man and woman, he did not just create flesh, but he also created emotions feelings. And I think for so long, specifically in the church world, we've talked about feelings and emotions as a bad thing. Oh, will you feel that way? Well, you shouldn't feel that way. Ask God to take that away from you. I would argue that you feel a particular way because there's something inside of you indicating that something is wrong. And God has given you that feeling to, to cause your lights to go off to say, I need to do something about this. So is it possible that we struggle with anxiety today because our emotions are simply out of order. Anxiety, fear, panic, phobias, stress, even those words can create anxiety sometimes, right? So where do all of these feelings come from? So I want to point you back to the very first garden, the Garden of Eden, and my premise is very simple. Every dysfunctional, fallen emotion is a distortion of God's original design. So, so here's, what I, here's what I mean by that. Anxiety was never a feeling that we were supposed to feel. It's why we, it, it affects us so deeply. Depression was never a feeling that we were supposed to feel. Shame was never a feeling that we were supposed to feel. It is why it weighs so heavily upon us because it's a distortion of what God originally designed for us to feel. See, God intended us for, for us to experience a mood that is the flip side of anxiety. And that mood is like a normal, healthy walk with him. So here's what happens in the first garden. God places Adam in the garden to what? To work and take care of it. You see that in Genesis 2.15. And actually the Hebrew word to take care of and keep means to guard or protect. So let's break this down for a second. God places man and woman in the garden, and we're going to use this word throughout this, uh, this message, to remain vigilant, to be on guard with something. He says, here's the garden, it's yours, protect it, watch over it. Now, Adam is like this scanner. Okay, God's given me dominion, he's given me control of this garden. I've got to do whatever I can to remain vigilant, to remain aware of my surroundings so that I can protect this. If you're a parent, you will understand this. So here's what I mean. You walk into a restaurant, you go to somebody else's house and you have kids. What do you do? You scan your surroundings. What is not safe for them? Okay, where are they at? Can I, can I count them all at one time? Can I hear them? You, you take care of your surroundings. It is this idea, this, this mood, this feeling of vigilance, of awareness that God has given all of us to feel something. This is, this is the same emotion that whenever you're in a marriage and you walk home and your wife or your husband hasn't said anything, but you're like, something is off. And you know what I'm talking about? Like something is off here. That is a God-given design. 
You walk into a room or maybe you have a friend and you go and have a conversation with them and three words in, you're like, man, something doesn't feel right. It's this emotion, this design inside of us to be aware of something that is going on. And I want you to understand that God has given us that emotion. Vigilance is the God-given emotion that urges us to act quickly in a response to threat. So this is the mom that goes into a bedroom and sees the plug sockets all along the wall and goes to Walmart and gets the covers so that her toddler does not stick the finger in there. This is the dad that walks into a situation and realizes, okay, I have my little girl and I want to be very careful of her because there's a lot of boys around and I'll kill all of them if they touch her, right? It's... (laughs) It's this idea of you being aware of your surroundings. So listen, here's what, I'm going somewhere with this. Here's what you have to understand. That is a God-given emotion to be aware of things. Now, here's where anxiety comes in. The enemy takes that God-given vigilance, that God-given you being aware of your surroundings, and he just hikes it up a little bit. He makes you hyper-aware of everything. So you start seeing things that aren't even there. And so you take this emotion, this design that God has given us, and the enemy just twists it. And anxiety is simply awareness distorted. Anxiety is simply vigilance out of control. See, anxiety is the flip side of vigilance. It attempts to cripple and disarms God's warriors and turn us into warriors. So the emotion that God gave us to protect ourselves to walk into an environment, to walk into something. Here's all the enemy has to do. I just need to hike it up just a notch. I need to turn up the volume just a little too loud. And all of a sudden I take this God-given emotion and I distort it. And now you walk into environments and you're constantly scanning everything. So let me give you an example of this. This is no secret. My dad's talked about it. I've talked about it. I grew up... um, I was already out of the, the house at the time, but I grew up with a brother who struggled with a drug addiction. And uh, one of the things that my mom and I have talked about over and over and over again is this was something they dealt with for about six, seven years. And when you deal with that, you learn how to interact with this person because they go through these phases of where they're clean and then they're not. And so what I mean by that, my mom would like, like sometimes if the door was closed to his room and he wouldn't come out for a few days, like something was wrong, right? So whenever he would come out, the way she would respond is she's talking very quietly, very soft, very like soothingly. I don't want to upset you. She had to remain aware. And then there was times when he was clean and you could joke with him and have fun with him and make a joke and he wouldn't get so angry or, or so frustrated. But her emotions were trained to, I had to cater to wherever he was at at the time. And so here's how this distorts and it turns into anxiety for us, even in our own relationships. Maybe you grew up in a home with a father who was an alcoholic. So you walked home and sometimes he wasn't drunk and he was in a great mood. And you could have fun and you could laugh and you could cut up. And then times you'd come home from school and he was crazy drunk and he was angry. And so what happens? It takes that vigilance that you have in your life and it just ramps it up. And now you're forced to be hyper aware of everything. And because you had a broken, damaged situation, you take that into every scenario of life. Does that make sense? You take it into every scenario where all of a sudden, now you look at life for this hyper awareness, this hyper vigilance. So that's why we've said over throughout this series that you have to learn to sit in your pain because you have to figure out 
where that's coming from. Because if you can get back to the source and deal with whatever the source is, whatever is causing that, you're going to start solving the issue. So all, God, all the enemy does is he takes a God-given emotion and he begins to distort it. Another way to say it would simply be this. Anxiety is vigilance that is out of control. Anxiety is awareness that is out of control. Anxiety is toxic scanning. <laughs> Walking into a room and going, that could hurt me, that could kill me, this could do this, this could do that, this could, and the reality of probably none of it's gonna happen. Most likely, none of it is going to happen. Another way to say it would be this, anxiety is vigilance minus faith in God. See, as a Christ follower, this is where our faith has to come into effect. You can look at reality and say, well, all of these can, things can happen. Can they? Sometimes, yes, they can. But what about a God who is bigger than all of that? This is, this is the difference that we have that marks us as a Christian because we have to believe in something that we cannot see. We have to have faith that, okay, I'm in this scenario, I'm in this situation, and I'm confident in the fact that God cares more about my goodness than anything else. Amen. So here's what happens. God called Adam to guard the garden. Now what happens? He failed. He failed. So he got to a place where he said, Adam, this is your dominion. Watch over it. Don't let anybody eat from this tree. Now, women, this will maybe set you free because I know for millennia we have blamed you for the, the fall of man. It wasn't actually her fault because Adam was actually supposed to be on guard and he failed to do his job. That's a whole other sermon about marriage and we can talk about that later. <laughs> but he failed in that moment because in the beginning God said, Adam, this is yours, watch over it. He failed to watch over it. What happens? Eve gets tempted she falls in, she gives in to the fruit. Adam failed to be vigilant, and I want you to see something because this is what anxiety does. And there's two emotions that take place in that scenario. And it's two emotions that happen when you deal with anxiety. Anxiety results in two separate things, fight or flight. So here's what happened to Adam. Whenever they bit the fruit, we talked about this last week, they realized, oh my gosh, we're naked. So his first like mode of operation is run. <laughs> I'm out of here. Like I'm leaving this garden and I'm never coming back. Eve, hurry up and sow some fig leaves together. <laughs> We're hiding. So they hide. This is the flight response. When they realize that they can't stay in hiding forever, now the fight response kicks in. So what happened? God says, what did you do? Well, that woman you gave me, if you would have never gave me her then we wouldn't have screwed all of this up. What does he do? He goes straight to blaming. It had nothing to do with me. She messed up. And then what does she do? She blames him right back. Sound like marriage sometimes? Going back and forth. Anxiety will cause you to do two things if you're not careful. When you've bought into this hypervigilance, you run or you fight. You run or you fight. Let me give you the family tree of anxiety. This is how it works. So in the flight response, when you're running away, you get angry. You get angry. You get angry because you feel like you're under attack. Because you're aware of something that is coming against you, 
and you don't like it, so you get angry. So here's where we take matters into our own hands and our own power for our own benefit. I want you to notice something, that the angry, tough guy is just as fearful and terrified as the anxious person. The response is just different. (laughs) So you have anger. That's the first thing that happens. And then you get anxiety. That's the second thing. That's the flight response to threat. I'm not, I, I'm not running anymore. I'm just going, or I'm not going to fight anymore. I'm just going to run. We talked about this last week. This is where you start taking safety and control into your own hands. Where you feel like I've got to control something. I've got to keep worrying because it's the only thing that I can control. So the reason that we don't surrender the fear and the reason that we don't surrender the worry because right now it is the only thing that we're actually controlling. When is the last time that you looked at a situation, worried yourself to death, and it actually changed the situation? It didn't. 99.9% of the time, your worry is never going to come to fruition, and almost 100% of the time, it's not going to change the outcome. But we buy into this fact, well, if I worry enough, at least I can feel as if I have some control. (laughs) And when we have to surrender to it, then we feel naked, right? We feel vulnerable. But this, if if, if we can do it correctly, this leads to vigilance. This is the faith response to threat. This is we engage, we protect, but here we place our safety in God's hands while we take a stand for his plan. So here's what you have to understand. Releasing yourself from vigilance, one, you have to understand, that's, I shouldn't have said it that way, releasing yourself, it doesn't happen that way. It is surrendering who you are to Jesus. Now, I know we hear this all the time, and you're like, I've tried this, this doesn't make sense, but I don't think that we actually understand what surrender is. Surrender is not you saying, God, I'm sorry, and I never want to do it again. Surrender is you, we talked about this last week, you owning every detail of your story and saying, this is who I am. This is what I struggle with. This is what I did. Now, God, it's yours. And that's where most of us, we we can't get to that point of owning the story. And this is why we talked about this three weeks ago. That's where shame kicks in. You can't own it. Second you own your story, everybody's going to know who you are and you just outed yourself. And now you're going to look different in front of other people. But the truth is, the only way that you're going to start aggressively attacking your anxiety is by starting to own it. See, God says it this way. Be vigilant, be alert, take your stand, and having all, then stand firm in me. So I'm not saying that you don't fight. I'm saying that you fight, and you say, okay, I'm not going to deal with this anymore, but you surrender the outcome to Jesus, (laughs) going, I have no control over this matter. But here's what anxiety says. What if I can't handle this? I have to run. I have to fight. I have to self-protect. See, anxiety is scanning without standing. It's continual worry and a perpetual state of alarm. And it does nothing for you other than wreak havoc on your body and your soul. So here's the question. How do I deal with my anxiety when my fear is overwhelming. Because I think most of us, if we're just honest, maybe you can get to a place where you logically understand what I'm talking about. And I think most of you are smart enough in here to understand that. 
we know the right thing to do. We usually do. It's the fact that we have so much fear to get to that place. We don't know how to move forward because we have this wall of fear standing in front of us. So what do we do? You have to understand this. Fear is our response when we feel uncertain about our resources in the face of danger. Fear is the response when you look at your tool shed and go, I don't have the correct tools to fight for this. So God, how do you expect me to fight? How do you expect me to get through this? See, fear drives us, listen, to face the fact that we're helpless and that ultimately our safety is out of our control. Can I tell you this? Safety is an illusion. God never promised you safety. Never. And if you're living to be safe, you will stay in a perpetual state of anxiety. Safety is not what we're after. We're after surrender. And in surrender, we fall at the face of the Lord and safety becomes something that we don't even care about anymore. It's the same idea of, I was at the beach this week with, my, with all of my kids and my two-year-old. Um, in Louisiana, there's, we just don't have clear water, right? I mean, we've accepted the fact that it looks like coffee. <laughs> um, but we know that there's all kinds of things in it. And uh, for, for literally what it seemed like, I mean, a good hundred yards, the beach that we were at had this sandbar. So you could literally walk out, I mean, a football field length and still be in like knee deep water. And I've got my two-year-old Timothy with me and he's looking at this expanse of the ocean going, I ain't going in there. I'm not going in there. And, uh, but it's crazy how all of that dissipates when I said, I'll go with you. Grab him by the hand, and we walk out there. And then all of a sudden, as he's out there, it's like this crazy confidence comes over him. This confidence of, dad's with me. The sandbar is right here. It's not deep. Now I'm free. That's how surrender works. So you think that you're safer on the beach. (laughs) You think that you're safer holding everything in. You think that you're safer when nobody knows everything that you're walking through. The truth is, you're never more safe than when you're connected with Jesus and he's got your safety under control. And sometimes, God's version of safety is saying, swim in the deep. And the only reason I'm pushing you in the deep is because I'm teaching you how to swim. Because I can't hold your hand forever. The only reason I'm pushing you in the deep is because I have a better way for you. The reason that you need to face your pain today is not because God hates you. It's not because he's angry at you, but it's because he's screaming at you saying, I have a better way than you dealing with all your issues on your own. You must understand that anxiety is fear out of control. But fear can actually compel us to face our neediness. Can actually can, can compel us to face that we need Jesus. So here's the main question. Where do we turn when we're gripped by fear? See, anxiety happens when we turn to ourselves instead of turning to God. As I've said before, anxiety is fear without faith. Anxiety is vigilance out of control. Anxiety is when we scan the horizon constantly, fearfully, but without taking responsibility and without clinging to God. But if you can understand this, through faith, 
we face the reality of our neediness by trusting in the unseen reality of God who cares and controls. Let me put it to you this way. We started off this talk in the first garden, the Garden of Eden, where anxiety kind of kicks up. Adam's vigilance gets out of control. He loses control. He has this anxiety. He has this fight or flight. He runs away. Then he blames. He fights back, and he's dealing with this, these emotions of anxiety. Then you get the second garden, which is the Garden of Eden. Do you know that the feeling that you feel right now, the overwhelming sense of anxiety, that Jesus felt it? You see, in the Garden of Eden, this is right before his death, it says that he is so overwhelmed, he's so anxious that the creator needs the created to come down from heaven and to encourage him. Picture that for a moment. Jesus is telling God, send me something that I created <laughs> to come down and encourage me. Not He takes it a step further. He actually has a moment where he doesn't think that he can go through with it. He calls out to the father and he says, hold on, time out. If there's any other way out of this, I'll take it right now. If there's another way, if I don't have to go to the cross, then I won't. God, if you reveal to me another way, I will gladly take it. What does godly vigilance look like? Jesus modeled it. Jesus came to a place where he faced the dread of death, but... He placed his faith in the Father's good heart and strong hands and understood that the outcome of him facing his fear was going to be a whole lot greater than holding on to the worry. So the outcome was worth it, right? The outcome was we understand that, I mean, death did not defeat him at all. He went through, listen, he went through a temporary season of suffering, but then he rose from the grave. And here's what I tell people all the time, and I've learned this so deeply in the past few months of my life. Do you want six months to a year of going through hell, or do you want that to be the rest of your life? You want to you deal with it for 20 years? You want to deal with it for 30, 40, 50 years, however many you have left? Or do you want to walk through a season where it's going to be hard, God's going to shape you, God's going to grow you, and then guess what? It's over. And then it's a distant memory in your past, and you go, thank God that I walked through that. Thank God that I'm never going back. Don't make something that God only intended to be a six-month trial and let it become your life. It doesn't have to be your life. Can I tell you something? There's always a way out. Always. See, Jesus entrusted himself to God. He said, okay, God, if it's your will for me to face it, then guess what? I surrender to it. And here's the beauty of it. God had a better plan in the end. So let's contrast two things real quick. You've got constructive vigilance. So this is us being aware. There is a constructive, healthy way to do this. And there's destructive vigilance. I think that Jesus models constructive and then the disciples model deconstructive. The disciples modeled deconstructive fear and anxiety when Jesus is about to face his death. And we see it at one point. They're about to arrest Jesus, and Peter's like, oh, no, you're not. Shink, chops the dude's ear off. That would have been me. He ain't taking nobody. Like, I'm about to fight, right? 
cut off his ear. Another point, Jesus, I mean, Peter actually chose the flight. And they realize, hey, aren't you Peter, the one that has been hanging out with Jesus? No, I don't know who that is. He, he feared for his own life, right? I, I don't know him. I've never met him. We've never hung out before. All the disciples displayed the inability to hold vigil. Even when Jesus was going to his death, remember this? He goes up to the Garden of Gethsemane and he says, guys, listen, I'm about to go through a rough time. You guys stay at the bottom of the mountain. You pray. They're like, got you, God. We're going to pray for you. You read the next scripture and it says, Jesus is praying and they all fell asleep. (laughs) Jesus is up here being encouraged by an angel, sweating blood, and the disciples are cold snoozing. They didn't stay on guard. So here's what I'm getting at. We experience the power of life and death in two gardens, the Garden of Eden and the Garden of Gethsemane. If we live by the power of flesh, then we live a fear-based, anxious life in the first garden. If we live by the power of the Spirit, then we live a faith-based life that follows the second garden. So this is how we apply the gospel to our daily life. When anxiety strikes, where does it drive you? When anxiety hits, where do you run to? And wherever you run to, you can determine what garden you're living in right now. Whatever you turn to determines what garden you're living in. When anxiety hits and you run to, I need something to numb. You run back to that old boyfriend, that old girlfriend. You run to Netflix. You run to Facebook. You run to all of those things. It determines what garden you're living in. But when you go through hard times, you say, you know what? I'm going to feel it. I'm going to face it. I'm going to lean into the power of God. I'm going to lean into community. And I'm going to get out of this. I'm not going to stay here. Think about the last time fear stalked you for a moment. Think about the last time anxiety flared up. Did you respond by trusting God or did you respond by trusting yourself and trying to protect yourself? See, where you run determines where you live. I'll close with this. Um, I read an article this past week that I think, I think so perfectly summed up our culture. Psychologists have actually coined this term that they call digital anxiety. And they say digital anxiety is actually worse than real anxiety. So let me explain. In the article, there's this guy, he's sitting in Hawaii at this airport. And he just got off from a long plane. He's in the middle of this delay. And he does like most people do. They get off a plane, he goes to the bathroom. He says he's at the urinal and he puts his hand on the wall. And as his hand's on the wall, he feels the wall start to shake in this rumble. He's kind of like, man, that's odd. Maybe it's just the tram in the airport, you know, just passing by and rumbling the wall. He said it lasted a whole four to five seconds. Took his hand off the wall, goes back outside in the lobby. And the next thing that he sees, everybody on their phone and all over the the TV screens is this news that says a 6.2 earthquake just hit Hawaii. And he said, within five minutes, my phone was blowing up from all these people. Oh my God, I just saw on social media that you were in an earthquake. Are you okay? Are you all right? He said, I got Facebook messages, tweets at me, Instagram posts, text messages. Are you okay? Are you dead? (laughs) And he said, it struck me at that moment. 
that I was actually in Hawaii, had my hand on the wall, and it was just a little tremor, a little rumble. That was it. But the way that it was projected on social media, on this world that we live in, it was awful. You get where I'm going here? So listen, because we now, we we just have to face it. Whether you like it or not, whether you're still saying, I'm not getting on social media, I've got the flip phone. Listen, we live in a digital world now. We just do. Everything is digital, and that is the way that the world is trending. But if you're not careful, if you numb out with this kind of stuff, you can tap into a reality that does not even exist and actually portrays itself to be a whole lot worse than it really is. It happens especially in the summer. You get on Instagram, another person on vacation. My life sucks, <laughs> right? And it's like the one snapshot that they had all summer and they took like 50 pictures, but they keep posting pictures every single day to make you think that they just, they don't work and they stay at the beach, right? See, if you're not careful, you can get trapped in a reality that doesn't exist. It can bring you reality. It can bring you this anxiety that should not even be there in the first place. So I want to challenge you to do something this morning as we close this out. I want to challenge you to leave here and have a moment with God. God, when I get anxious, where do I run? Ask yourself that question internally. Where do I run? Where do I go? And if it's to a numbing mechanism, then here's what you do. God, I don't want to be that. Help me to get to a place where I can truly trust and turn to you. And that, when you get to that point, you come to a place where, man, you find a friend, preferably a life group, somebody here within the church. You can start talking with it. You can start diving through this kind of stuff with. And then you allow God to do his thing. God will set you free. God will release you. Can I just hopefully tell you this morning, if you struggle with this, you're not weird. You're not different. You're not alone. You're human. You're human. And everybody that says contrary to that is not in touch with themselves. I think we have bought into this Christianity, which is so sad, that once I follow Jesus and put my hope and my trust and my faith in him, then I just can't struggle anymore. That's called being dead and being with Jesus. (laughs) That's how that happens. As long as you are here on this earth, you're going to wrestle with something, so you have to figure out what paths you're going to take when you struggle. You're going to choose your own safety, or you're going to choose God, who ultimately has a whole lot better of a plan for you.